Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now, in our latest and greatest effort, this, the Saltwater Podcast Series. In the Saltwater Podcast Series, we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to spend some time with us, sharing us their knowledge, their insights on how to catch more fish more often. And I think in addition to that, it's not just about more fish more often, but we want to give you more confidence so that you spend more time on the water more often, more time with family and friends on the water more often. I am joined, as I am every week, by my partner in this podcast project, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Hello, Billy. Welcome to What's another going, episode. What's going on, Gary? Good to see you, man. Yeah, man, it is good. It's always good. You man. always have a fresh shirt on, and I always just wear this black old shirt. I, I got to step up my game. You do. But I, I do have this awesome hat, so whatever. Trumps all your nice shirts. You beat me in the hat. <laughs> uh, well, Billy, what we're doing today, I want to let you know what's happening today. Right. Topwater stripers... On the news. All right, we're going to okay. talk to Captain James Holloway, Noose River Adventures, primarily out of New Bern. He might travel a little bit, but New Bern is, is home port. And we're going to talk about topwater stripers on the noose, man. And it is a fun fishery. I've done it a handful of times. I've done it with James. It's a great time. And, you know, we're going to cover all the basics, the all whens, right. the wheres, the bait, the techniques. I mean, he's full of information. I'm excited to talk to him. I'm excited, man. I've never been topwater fishing for striper. Oh, I never took you on any of those trips? Oh, nope, I'm sure there's nope. a good reason. Hmm. I couldn't think of one reason that would be a good reason, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> hey, well, first of all, I just want to shout out to everybody and say thank you for watching, thank you for listening. Um, and I will show you right now, if you don't know how to watch or listen, or if you're doing one, you don't know how to do the other, I'm going to tell you where you can find our podcast. Uh, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Amazon, which is not listed on this slide that I'm showing you. Uh, and then also you can go to our YouTube channel and check out the video if you're listening. Uh, if you want to see Gary's face, his beautiful, you got a good face, Gary. I got a face for radio, but whatever. You know, here I am. <laughs> going against I'm the more grain. than just a fresh shirt is what you're <laughs> That's telling That's right. Me. Fresh shirt, nice face. <laughs> anyway, all made possible by Marine Warehouse to show off Gary's face, <laughs> which we really appreciate those guys, man. We do. Always, They're great. Always doing good stuff. Always hear great reviews about them. And so, yeah, if you need what, – what you, you get your boat fixed there. I do, man. They do work on the boat. If I need something, I reach out to them. They've got parts. they got service. they got sales. Big fans of Marine Warehouse yeah. Center, man. They're trying to be an integral part of both the both the boat and fishing community. Yeah, they're good, man. And they got my future boat there. I'm sure they it's, just haven't it's decided which one to give you. Just haven't decided which one to which give one? me, or if one of them can talk. If they're really good, they can talk my wife into buying it for me. Emmett wants know? to give you a really big boat, but <laughs> Terrell's a little bit more conservative. He's saying maybe something small. And so once they figure it out, they'll be in touch. Well, I'm going to play this video, and I'm going to pick one out of there. Maybe they can just hook me up. You, they might want that help. <laughs> Here we go. This is Preston with Marine Warehouse Center. We're your headquarters for Carolina Skiff, Sea Chaser, Paramarine, and Sailfish Boat. If you're looking for tons of features and value without compromise, come check out our inventory in person or check us out online.
Uh, you know what, Gary? I'm not that picky. I'll take any of those. That's the right attitude. <laughs> that is the right attitude. That's what they wanted to hear. That's it, man. You got any good jokes this week? Well, I don't. But Terrell does. But Terrell All does, right, man. I'm that guy, ugh, you know, God, he just keeps calling. I don't know what to do about it. I mean, he's a sponsor, so I don't want to turn him away. But, I mean, every day, Terrell, like, don't you have something to do? So, anyway, we were hanging out. He offered me a Sunny D. Remember Sunny D? I do. I had three of them before I got in. <laughs> <laughs> and he told me this joke. And again, I like to clarify this is Terrell's joke. This is not my joke. Two fish swim into a concrete wall. One turns to the other and says, Damn. <laughs> I like these jokes. I don't care how much you give Terrell a hard time. I think these are good. These are nice and clever. Terrell's a pretty clever dude. He's pretty clever, yeah. He is. I mean, oh. We have to call him and have him tell his own jokes, because I don't know, Gary. I don't know if you appreciate him enough to be repeating them. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you are. Maybe I'm misjudging you here. Show me a fish photo. All right, here we go with the fish photo. Where did it go? Here it is. Uh, this is James Pearson, little 10-year-old guy from Wilmington, North Carolina, with a striper caught and released on a finger mullet while fishing at Cape Fear River. Nice-looking fish there. Stripers are fun, man. I'm excited to talk about stripers, man. They put up a good fight. It's bigger than any striper I've ever caught. Have you caught some? Nope. All right. I think I've been a couple times, but I've just never. I'm going to learn how to on this show. That's right. At the end of the show. That's right. And that is a good setup for Billy's best takeaway. As a reminder, at the end of the podcast, at the end of my conversation with Captain James Holloway, I'm coming back to you and saying of all the information that Captain James shared with us, what is Billy's best takeaway? All right. I'm going to do it. All right. So let me transition now. Let me introduce our audience to Captain James Holloway, Noose River Adventures out of New Bern. We're going to talk about topwater stripers on the noose, ABCs, 123s, when, where's, baits, techniques. Welcome to the show, James. Good to be talking to you. Hey, good evening, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, welcome to the Noose River Adventure World Headquarters in beautiful New Bern, North Carolina. Happy Man, the, to be here. the World Headquarters, is that for real? is it yeah one man operation (laughs) well as impressive as it as impressive as it is that you have a world headquarters i'm afraid that that just isn't enough what we also need to do is you need to get past this next question and the question is captain james why should my audience spend the next 45 minutes of their life listen to you talk about a striper that's a very good question so (laughs) gary (laughs) so Hey, look, I first arrived to Eastern North Carolina in 1991, started fishing the Noose River and all the adjoining waters around here. Um, I traveled in and out of the area between 1991 and 2003, and then um, I got lucky and I was able to come move back here permanently in 2003. So I've been fishing this river system for about close to 30 years now. Um, Also in my, uh, my regular job regular life i do trend analysis or i have for a very long time and that served me well uh being a fishing guide and just a fisherman in general a waterman is uh i've been looking for uh cause and effect and why things happen at certain times and and try to put the pieces together so that's been an integral part to me being able to dissect this uh the river system and the fishery in general so um, hopefully that's enough justification for people to keep listening but um i've got a lot of info good info to share uh, especially regarding the topwater striper fishery here 
Um, that is a passable answer. We are going to proceed. I've gotten confirmation from Billy that we are going to proceed with this podcast show on stripers. That was a good answer. So now the second question, as it is, is typically non-fishing related. This is water related. And actually, I'm going to I'm gonna try to pull Billy in on this too. We're going to get his answer first, and then we're going to go to you. Okay, you follow me so far? So the Noose River, yes. I'm told and I'm told by Google, is the widest river in North Carolina. At its widest point, Billy, how wide would you guess the Noose River is? And then I'm coming to you, James, for to see if you have a better answer. I'm going to say 15 double wides wide. I don't know how wide that is. That is a horrible answer. Just we just lost 100 viewers. Do we? <laughs> I don't know. James, you had time to Google it while we went over to Billy. What's your guess at the Noose River widest point? Well, I didn't Google it, but I do have a lot of tracks on my GPS from the mouth of the Noose, so it's uh, it's pretty close to eight miles across. Uh, I think I, I tracked 7.78 miles or something to that effect, somewhere close to there. Ding, ding, ding. I've gotten answers between six and eight miles, so he's right in the zone. I, I certainly don't know the answer. Again, I'm a Googler for setting up this podcast. But, man, look, you passed both questions. So let's get right to it, James. Genius. Let's hear what you have to say about topwater stripers. Now, I know you're a very organized person. I know you had your notes, and I don't know that I'm following your notes, but I'm pushing you in this direction because I think it's one of the first questions people have, one of two. First is when. So topwater stripers, when are we targeting? When are you targeting topwater stripers in the Noose River? All right. So topwater stripers, um, I'll start with the calendar year. Uh, yes. So – you know, of course, we have our coldest month, February and March around here. Um, water starts warming back up in April, uh, sometimes April, late April. Once the water gets around the low 60s, that's when I really start targeting the stripers again. So in water that's cooler than that, um, you might get a couple follow ups, um, not a lot of commitment, but somewhere around 60 degrees. So I know that's not an answer to say like, hey, on the calendar, you can say, um, April 15th or April 30th or something like that. But I start looking for them um, on top water in April, depending on what kind of weather we've been having. And is that going to last until the water in the fall and the winter drops below that low 60s again? No, it's a little bit different in the fall time. So it takes them a while to warm up in the spring. Um, like I said, it's got to be in the low 60s before I start getting some commitment. Um, you'll get a lot of follow-ups and roll-ups and stuff like that. But in the fall, it it lasts a lot longer so the water will get all the way down into the uh like maybe the middle or even the low 50s and it will still keep hitting that top water until it gets down there in the consistently in the in the lower 50s and then i i basically put up the top waters you might you might have some success running those after that but mostly i'll go subsurface after that time which will be sometime maybe even as long as um getting close to christmas sometime in december so I'm going to ask you a question because you brought up this topic a couple months ago when I first approached you about doing this podcast. So you can catch topwaters all summer long, but you pointed out to me that it is, there is a certain problem with targeting stripers. In the, even though you can catch them, there's a certain problem with targeting them in the summer, and that problem is? Yeah, I try to lay off. I've read some research, and I really don't have anything to reference. Um, I guess I should have probably had that for you, but um, that there's a high mortality rate when the water is over 70 degrees. So really during the height and the hottest part of summer, um, I try to lay off the stripers just because, I mean, it's not worth um, literally 
killing the stripers, right, to, to get a couple topwater bites. There's plenty of other action that to be had on topwater baits during that time. Um, you can move a little farther down the river and target redfish. Actually, we had a really fantastic redfish topwater bite here in New Bern, still going on actually with them. Uh, so yeah, I try to, we try to lay off them in the summertime for the most part, and then we'll pick it back up in the fall when everything starts cooling off. What's the season for keeping stripers? Well, there's not a season on the New St. Pamlico River. We've been, uh, there's a moratorium. They shut us down in April. They didn't even get all the way through the season. So it was like toward the end of April, uh, 2019. And they said it's a two year moratorium. So there's been a, um, you cannot harvest a striper on the Noose River. Well, then let's transition over to where, you know, I think those are the two upfront questions people have. And of course, we're not bringing up Google Earth and you're pointing people exactly where to go. Um, again, Newburn as your home port. What are the what are the favorite striper habitats that you have found areas that people would want to look check out themselves? Sure, um, Newburn, the entire Noose River is is full of all kinds of structure. There is all I mean whole shorelines full of broken down docks. There's um, an artificial reef. We have a couple expansive bridge systems here that hold fish on them uh, during. The spring, rolling to summer, all the way through this time of the year, um, most of the fish transition from the wintertime out of the creeks into the main river, and they stay out for the most part in the main river. So right now I'm targeting shorelines on the main river. Um, I'm looking for signs. I mean, everyone knows if you find bait, you find fish. Um, there's a lot of birds in the area. That's always helpful. Um, there are stripers busting bait, so you really just got to keep your head on a swivel when you're out there and just keep looking around. That's what I'm targeting. I'm targeting um, surface structure or underwater structure with topwater bait in relatively shallow or maybe even a flat running off into a deeper water type of situation. So what are some examples of underwater structure that you like in that Newburn area? There are a lot of stump fields. Basically, all the corners of the creeks are covered with stump fields. There's um, a lot of hurricane debris from years past that were docks or uh, even maybe part of some of the New Bern downtown, the old New Bern downtown is uh, just rows and rows of stumps out there. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm targeting. And so as far as going back to the bait comment, is that is that mostly like visually seeing bait or is it seeing bait on the machine that's just not on the surface, either one? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, of course, I'm always looking for bait, whether it's on the electronics or on the surface, but there, this time of the year, there is a lot of bait up here in this river. Tons and tons of menhaden and lots of mullet. Those are the primary two that you see. Um, and I'm always looking for nervous bait or even the best is frantic bait, right? Which we encountered this weekend. So we're doing some topwater striper and up here. And um, right before you get hit, the mullet would just spray out of the water in front of your bait. And then, you know, of course the striper would crush the topwater bait. So that's what I'm looking for. It's a little bit of both. Um, and there's a lot of water to cover here, which you already said. I mean, we're talking about an eight-mile-wide river at the mouth. Um, so you also have to be mobile. Uh, a lot of people, I feel like, they get stuck. They just fish the same old area. They go somewhere that maybe they caught a fish before. But these fish aren't glued to a spot, right? They have fins and swim for a living, not home addresses. So you got to stay mobile. So you got to stay mobile because the fish are staying mobile. So a fish one day doesn't equate to a fish that not doesn't necessarily equate to a fish the next day. And you're moving all over and not are you out in the middle of the big water or they just move out into the big water but then stick around the shorelines or i know you have at least one artificial reef out there 
Yeah, the reef, especially in the fall, has a lot of bait on it. So that's usually a visual cue or you might, you know, kind of patrol the reef and look on your electronics and see if there's a congregation of bait and then try to go there. But um, I don't just openly fish the artificial reef on top. So I'd have to see some kind of activity over there. So bait busting or maybe birds feeding. The bird hopscotching uh, feeding activity is always like a real positive sign. So that's the kind of stuff I'm look, looking at. Other than that, I'm working through sections of the river and just fishing docks and fishing stump fields and, and that kind of stuff and moving along. So I have it a pattern and everything here is based on the wind. So really, we're really subject and that has to do with the, the uh, water, whether we have a high tide or low tide situation here, the water salinity between the wind and the amount of rain that we get, it moves the fish up and down the river. And not only the stripers, it moves everything else as well. So you just kind of stay um, on top of that, which, you know, means that you have to be out there on the water, putting in the time to stay on top of those things. So, man, that brings up just, I mean, that's great, but it, it brings up to me some follow-up questions. So first on the wind, if the wind is blowing on a particular shoreline, is that the shoreline you want to be on? The wind is blowing on it, or do you want to be on the lee side? How does wind affect your decision of where to fish? Um, well, you've been on my boat um, a couple times. You know I have a T-top, so really it has a big effect on where I want to fish. So sometimes if we get like a strong northeast wind here, um, the entire the entire south side of the river is basically not fishable for me. So um, I would just try to pick a, a place on the opposite end. I think that people fish here frequently, that they're they're pretty aware of how the the wind drives and affects, you know, your, your opportunities for fishing here in the New Bern area. So you just do the best you can. If you can get over there and fish it and fish it safely, then I do it. Um, that's something else I was going to talk about as well, you know, about kind of a uh, choppy water and using topwater baits. I feel like a lot of people don't want to throw that on a windy day, but it, it, it doesn't, they don't care. The fish will still get good after that topwater bait, even if you're fishing some rough water on the windy side. What about the, uh, you mentioned rain and salinity. So if it rains, it pushes them more out of the creeks because that's more affected or how, how does the fresh water of rain affect the movement of the fish? Uh, the fish, so the fresh water, if we get a, a whole bunch, like we're getting ready to have the remnants of, well, I guess most of the rain missed today, it looked like, but of uh, rain overnight tonight. And if it's substantial, um, it'll, it'll, one thing, it'll muddy up the water uh, to create a lot more current than is normal and it'll push them not necessarily in and out of the creeks because when the water's still at fall time temperatures most of the fish that i'm pursuing are out in the main part of the river anyway but it'll move them down the river or if we're lacking rain and the water's getting extra salty you know they'll maybe you can get them up and around newburn but it just seems to push some of the bait and if you move the bait population then you know the predator population kind of moves along with it at least that's my observation well, man, let's go to the terminal tackle conversation. Let's go to the top water conversation. Um, since that is the focus of the show, um, tell me, what do you like? What, what are the better options you like tied on in the boat when you're heading out for a morning, afternoon day of top water throw? Sure. Um, as a guide, of course, you have to be ready for any scenario. And another thing is we get a lot of clients that aren't necessarily fishermen, right? There's people that are just coming out and they're having either a family event or they want to they wanna try to break in or they're new to fishing. So I carry basically every kind of topwater bait that you can even imagine. Um, but the, the, primary, the primary one is um, a pencil style bait, right? This one in particular happens to be a Head and Super Spook Junior. Um, they come in all kinds of various sizes. Let's see here, got everything lined up. 
Um, and this is these are walk the dog style baits, different sizes. So the idea behind this is, you know, it lurches left and right coming across the river. But there is some technique involved with that. So this seems to be uh, the more effective type of bait, the walk the dog, but not everyone can walk the dog. So we carry out um, poppers. And this would be a, a bass style popper, probably that, you know, a lot of people have fished on a, on a pond or something like that. Um, a little less technique involved with that. Um, we have uh, some big prop baits that we use. And this one is basically their straight. So this, there we go. That's the a whopper plopper. That's a really large bait. So I'll use that if we're pursuing really some, trying to get some bigger fish. Uh, but if I, if I've had somebody that can't necessarily walk the dog, all you do is throw this guy out and uh, it's got this big prop on the back here and it makes a lot of noise, a lot of noise. So, and then we have some different shapes too. So I feel like I show, I keep showing you the, the head in here. Um, we have some Mastercraft baits, also a walk the dog type bait. Um, each one of them have their advantages and disadvantages. But this shape one, where it's torpedo at the on both ends, seems to be quite a bit easier for people to walk. There's a lot less effort involved with it. So if I can get someone to throw a walk the dog style topwater bait, that's what that's what I prefer and I feel like is the most effective. All right. So on walk the dog and we've got some people watching we've got some people listening so on the walk the dog bait give me two that you like you know let's say them by name because not everyone can see what you just held up okay very good so i'm a little partial to to Hedden just because um i grew up not far from the original Hedden factory uh up in michigan a uh, hundred years ago but this this is the Super Spook Junior or the Spook. They make them in several different sizes um, and they come in a freshwater and a saltwater grade, which I'll talk about here in the morning in a minute here. And um, why do you why do you like it other than the romantic connection to the home place? <laughs> which is fair. Well, but, um, yeah. Well, they've been around for a very long time. Right. That's a, like one of the oldest. I think it's the oldest um, artificial lure manufacturer uh, head and company. But what they do is they have like a really nice knocker in them they're low frequency bait they're easy to work as far as walk the dog goes like i said a lot less effort than some of the other shapes of topwater baits um and they and they work they catch fish the fish really respond to this thing and so you can vary depending on how you run it you know you can you can make it slow you can make it fast you can do some pauses you can even sometimes i'll even burn them across the surface if we really have a uh, an aggressive bite going on and this thing catches a lot of fish so it's hard a lot of times to put it down when you know that it works so well so, so now what what about the pencil what about the pencil style bait give me your top your favorite bait right now as far as the pencil style this bait is a sammy mastercraft makes them this one's a, a high pitch bait it sits low in the water so when it's sitting the attitude of it is the tails down um and it's, it's a little more subtle. It's not nearly as loud or make as big splashes, but sometimes you need a little softer presentation. So that's a really good one. And basically, I think that's that's it besides poppers. So I do have some other walk the dog baits, the Mirror Lure Top Dog Series. Um, this one is, is a real popular color. It's an 808. Uh, same thing, low, 
low frequency rattles, um, strong hooks, very durable, really good, reliable reputation. And these catch fish too, but they're, they're little, they're little bulbed in the middle there. They're, they're slightly harder for people to work than the head and baits, in my opinion. Of course, this is all just my opinion and keeping records and stuff like that, but I try to make it, uh, you know, the most enjoyable time possible for the clients and the least amount of, of work for them to, uh, to be able to make this thing effective. But this is a good one too. We catch a lot of fish on these mirror lure top dogs. So they come in a bunch of variations. This one is very similar to the heading that I showed you. Then we have some that are uh, kind of have a popper and a walk the dog all integrated. It's called the Papa dog. And you see that there. So this walks and chugs water at the same time. This all one right. is, uh, is super effective too. Sometimes when you can't, you can't catch them on anything else. This, this thing shines. So I always keep a couple of these couple different color variations. Um, most of my colors that I stick with on the noose, our water is really stained here. It's very tan in water. Um, it looks on the very best day for clarity. I think if you scooped it into a clear cup, it might look like some really dark sweet tea at best. So I try to stick with, um, kind of chartreuse or silver or silver and black, you know, not anything wild. We do throw a lot of just straight chartreuse baits here and the fish respond to them very well. Um, but, and then I've got, you know, a box full of a hundred other, a hundred other baits here. So we'll, if I don't tip them out, but yeah, we'll, we'll use those. And if, if the fish are really being finicky, then I'll, I'll start switching to some more non-conventional uh, stuff. But for the most part, one of these baits that I've shown here is a good thing to start with. All right. So I guess before we go to technique, let me just ask leader, what are you using for leader? Okay. For leader, um, I vary my leader. I'm not, I'm not stuck necessarily on one kind. I'm trying things all the time. Some of them are too stiff or too brittle or this or that right now. Currently I'm using the, the cigar red label. Um, I just started using this a couple weeks ago and so far it's holding up pretty good, but, um, for the most part, I would just pick a, a brand that's been around for a while. It's 20 pound liter and it is floral carbon. My, my main purpose in even using liter is to keep, it's just stiff enough. Of course you get the abrasion resistance, but it's just stiff enough to keep the bait laid out on a cast where, where it's not hanging up in the hooks there all the time. Man, when we're tying that fluoro to the topwater bait, is it like a cinch knot or is it a loop knot? Okay, to the bait. So from the from the braid to the leader, I do a uni to uni, which are, you know, I use that one because it ends up being a very small. A lot of, uh, a lot of times we're getting the leader reeled up into the top guide eye and to prevent damage. So I'll do that uni to uni from the braid to the leader. And then I do use a loop knot from the leader to the bait okay um many of here i would use a clip like a speed clip type deal but if we're specifically fishing for stripers or redfish on top um, i try to take that fail point out of there as much as possible so i always do a straight loop knot all right so i guess i'm gonna ask you this i'm gonna this is where i'm going now um, that's a pretty thorough conversation about top water options, including color, including styles, including action, and then the leader. So do you have anything else to say about terminal tackle poppers? Or are we going to, are we going to technique? We're going to application. Um, one thing I will say, um, 
As far as line goes, main line, that's a, a question I'll get all the time. Or I'll notice that people bring their own equipment that they're really over-rigged a lot of times. So for the topwater stripers, I do use, um, I use 10-pound test for basically most of the year on everything, trout fishing, flounder, redfish. Um, but when we're getting in, we're getting some bigger fish over here now. So I'm using some 15-pound braid. Uh, I'm a big fan of fins. This the 40G is a, like a composite super line. When you get normal braids, you get a four carrier or eight carrier braid. There's a lot of resistance on there. But if you if you step down, I guess what I really want to say is if you step down from a 20 to a 10 pound braid or even to this 15 in the, in the super line style here, that you will increase your casting distance significantly. And I feel like that's kind of a big deal. I always try to stay off a spot as I'm approaching it. Um, or play the wind or set the trolling motor up or whatever you can do to not overrun the spot and really get a lot of good long casts. That way you're covering a lot of water as well. Um, so I just wanted to say that a lot of people are overdoing it with their braid. You can downscale on the braid and just keep a 20 pound leader and, and most all the time you're gonna be fine. We don't have a lot of terminal tackle failures as far as the lines go. If you lose a fish, it's because um, that's something else I wanna talk about too is hooks. So they're either a bent hook or they've dragged you down and, and cut you across some barnacles or something. So are you swapping out hooks on your baits or are you going store-bought? Well, I might go store-bought sometimes. So as you can see, I got a Super Spook Junior here and, and we always pick them out. You know, we're always looking for saltwater grade, right? Saltwater grade means I'm corrosion resistant, you know, and can handle a normal fish, but most of the time i'm switching these things out right right from the get-go so i've got a sample of one from the other day that didn't get switched out and i don't know if we're going to be able to see this in the in this video here but there's a uh, these hooks are all damn man got the right camera you can see they're all mangled and bent up here and that's yeah. because they were bent back with a pair of pliers and um it's heartbreaking when you lose a fish and it's because one of these treble hooks got bent out because, you know what I mean? These, these fish are really are pretty good and powerful. I mean, when you catch a 30-inch striper, it's got a lot, of, a lot of pool, a lot of strength to it. So, like I said, just because the package says saltwater grade doesn't mean the hooks are up to the uh, task there. So, I usually switch them out for a 3X or a 4X hook. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be VMC. I just use them because I go through a lot of hooks, and these are reliable and, and relatively inexpensive compared to some of the other the other big brands uh, so i recommend a 3x or a 4x hook if you were going to put that on a mr17 or some kind of suspending bait you know that i think the hooks would affect the way that that bait might suspend but if you're you're chucking a big old topwater bait out here like this uh it can handle some some larger or some a little bit heavier hooks without uh changing the way that it, it comes through the water you know and you're not going to sink it all right, so I'm on your I'm on your boat. You know, we've got our gear. We're pulling up to the first spot, and you can decide what to focus on. We're either pulling up to some, you know, docks, broken up docks. We're pulling up to a stump field, and I'm a client on your boat. You put that rod in my hand, and you give me what instructions? Um, before we even got to the first spot, we would stop somewhere where it was a little bit out of the wind, and I would do a period of instruction on how to walk the dog and kind of try to make a determination of if uh, – if we're going to be able to walk the dog, not everyone can do it. So that's, that's the truth. But most people get it after a couple casts. It looks like they've been doing it their whole lives. Um, but I would get to a spot and in my mind, I'm always uh, dissecting the, the, 
place that we're going to fish uh, based on the way that the, the boat is facing or the wind, if we're drifting. If I can get us in a drift, that's the ideal situation, just a nice slow drift past everything. And then uh, start from the outside, um, hit the corners. If it's a dock like that is actually still there, I will try to get them to cast. It's cast all the way down the, the side of the dock, and then we'll move to the front corners around and do the same thing on the other side. And uh, if you don't, you know, get a reaction or nobody's home at that point, you just kind of move to the next place and do it again. And are you, I mean, I don't know, what's the fine tuning there? Am I like just a steady retrieve? Am I mixing it up? Am I pausing? Even when that bait first hits the water, am I immediately going to work? Do I let it sit for a little bit? Like what nuances have you found? Um, that's situational. You know, sometimes the moon phase plays a big, um, has a big factor on how the fish feed or what the day is going to be like. Uh, I recommend that people use the lunar calendar. So I use a lunar calendar, but I don't, I try not to look at it too hard ahead of the day, right? Because certainly if you take the time and you go out and put your boat in the water and you go fishing that you have a way higher probability of catching a fish than if you didn't go. Um, and we almost always, always catch fish. So, but, um, I, I do use the lunar calendar to reference how the trip went later. And that was part of my, uh, collecting of data and trend analysis, you know, to say, oh, wow, today was a look, the lunar calendar said it was going to be a slow day and today was a slow day. So, um, yeah, there's not one right way. I usually go straight to work. I don't let it pause when we first get out there. Um, and many times I guess that I should go back and say this as well, if we're fishing two or three people which most of the time we are, um, to start off, if we're just on our very first spot, we'll throw three different baits, right? We'll get a, we'll get, we'll get one of these guys up here and then we'll get one of the top dogs and something else. And then we'll see who gets the best reaction. Then I fine tune from there. Um, and then as far as speed and tempo goes, I feel like obviously when the water's warmer, uh, a faster tempo is more effective. Um, I do believe, and this is again, just, I, not science, but my trend analysis, my own personal uh, record keeping is that um, if you keep that lure moving, the stripers are, are more apt to, to get it. But if you pause, like if you see them roll up behind it and you just pause and let it sit there, I feel like they just turn away from it. So whereas a trout or a redfish will come and get it. So that's something else that we have here on the Noose River as well as striper fishing is it's hard to it's hard to target specifically. I'm only going to try to catch stripers today because many times these fish, especially now with all the bait in the area and we got trout moving in here right now and there's a healthy population of redfish is that stripers will um, school up with like sized either stripers and trout or stripers and redfish. And so you really end up catching um, more than one species on most of the time. So um, I hope that I hope that answered there. There's not really a right way. You just kind of have to play it and say, okay, let's try to move it faster. Let's try to move it slower. You can uh, make it lurch left and right deeper. And by deeper, I mean, you know, you pop it harder and it really surges one way and the other, or you don't pop it as hard and you got more of a tight pattern. So those are all variations, but that situation on every day is a little bit different. And I like that information. So if I heard you correctly, a striper, does not want a pause, but a trout or a red drum in your observations will be more forgiving if I pause it. It might still take a swipe at it, but if I'm if I'm hoping to be on a school of stripers, no pause, just keep it moving. That's just for me. So I try to always keep it moving. It doesn't have to be moving fast, you know, but 
it does seem like they turn away from it if they're right behind him because a lot of times we have indication before they hit your bait like you can see him like hey he's rolled up behind you oh they'll, they'll do a boil up everyone knows what I, i'm pretty sure everyone knows what i mean when i say a boil up like the fish will come up to the surface behind the bait and it creates a big boil on the water you know like you're uh, like if you cranked up your trolling motor or something the way it, it kicks thrust that behind so they leave that boil and i'll say oh slow it down or speed it up on the situation just don't let it stop i feel like if you just stop it dead in the water that they turn from it but again that's just my own personal um observations of it man i feel like we've we, this has been full of information like it's dense with information and I like what we've talked about. I'm not quite sure where else to set you up on your conversation. I mean, I know you're a very organized guy. I know you have notes in front of you. So I think at this point I'll say, James, where would you like this conversation to go? Okay, well, we already talked about the, the win, and we talked about the, the baits a little bit. Technique, uh, technique is learn how to walk the dog. It does take a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, and uh, it's not for it's not for everyone either. It's it's a little bit like physically strenuous if you're standing there for hours and hours throwing topwater baits. Uh, you get conditioned to it. But um, I would say start that if you're if you're not throwing a topwater bait um, on on a noose or wherever you fish, I recommend maybe you go buy one, buy a couple of them, and start playing with them. There's tons of YouTube videos out there um, that can you know teach you different technique and whatnot but once you get it down especially the walk the dog the technique is almost the same the muscle memory is almost always the same regardless of which bait you choose at that point it is speed and tempo um is the variables that that change you know and and you don't always um you don't always have a stellar day on top water but most of the time it, you will get some attention on it something else and i and i guess uh this one one thing that i'll, I'll say as well so um I always carry a searching bait. Like I wouldn't go on a trip and just have only topwater baits, right? I'm usually rigged up where I have swim baits and um, suspending baits and twitch baits and all this other stuff. But when it's on for topwater, certainly have that is the first round to go. Um, but even if fish, this is what I'll say. I, I mentioned a lunar calendar earlier. And like I said, as a guide, you can't look at the lunar calendar and let it, and let it psych you out like, oh, it says it's only going to be a so-so day today because sometimes that's just not right but you always end up catch fish if you go but this bait right here i'll tell you one of the the, the best things that it's it's used for that if even if fish are in a negative feeding mood meaning like they're just not into it right there it's not their time to feed if you're throwing a top water bait they will usually at least identify themselves and come up and do a false strike or a you know a, a slap at it or a boil up and at that time that's when you switch over to a suspending bait or a softer presentation and you can go in there behind the topwater bait and normally pick some fish up but you know they don't they don't always want it but a lot of times they will um, at least show themselves and you can say okay well look now i know there's some fish here in this area and i'll slow down maybe and change to some different techniques besides the topwater man do you have confidence though in topwaters throughout the day or do you really focus on the early morning and you know twilight hours yeah, of course, the, the morning and the evening is is the, the height of it. But really on a nice cloudy day, nice cloudy day, overcast day with a little bit of ripple on the water, you can go all day long. Um, around the full moon phase, it's usually pretty slow, especially morning fishing, right? Because if it's clear skies and whatnot, the fish are feeding all night. But you can normally get a, a good middle of the day topwater bite going on there too. So um, someday, again, that's situational, right? Like if you want to spend the whole day doing it but 
I'm usually on on some kind of time frame where I need to produce some fish, right? So we'll we'll get at it as long I feel as long as I feel like I put in a good effort, and if it's not working out, then I'll switch to a different technique. But if we can keep throwing them all day, and some days you can do it the whole day long, definitely that's the best way. There's nothing more fun than watching the fish blow up on top water. So it's it, you get all the the different effects from it. You know, not just a hit down there on your jig. Like you're watching it all unfold before your eyes, and it's really a a fantastic thing. Well, I appreciate you letting me focus this conversation on topwater stripers. Um, this is the point where I'm going to say, I, you know, I know that James Holloway and News River Adventures is more than topwater stripers. So how about the highlight reel, man? How about walking me through the calendar, uh, the calendar year? You know, what are what are your favorite targets starting in spring, moving in the summer, moving in the fall, and and then I guess even into winter? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Okay, so in the in the spring. Um... In the spring, this we'll have tons of stripers. We get uh, shad. The shad run comes through here up the new. So the American shad, gizzard shad, um, they'll all come up, and a lot of the predators end up going that way. So we end up fishing up the river for them, and that's primarily stripers and largemouth bass. You'll catch along with those and chain pickerel, big catfish on crappie jigs and stuff like that. There's all kinds of interesting things going on there in the early spring. So and then rolling into to April and into May. Um, when, it, when the sweet smell of honeysuckles out there on the river, that's when I'm, that's when I start breaking out those topwater baits pretty hard. Um, and that's, that's primarily stripers at that point as well. Um, as it warms up a little bit more, we'll start getting a good mix of, of redfish in there um, with them and then flounder, you know, whatever trout we have hold over from the winter too. So the summer is, uh, it will stay good at least for the stripers and the redfish and the flounder when it gets to the hottest part of the summer, you know, a lot of those trout have already moved down out to the sound and everything like that. So, uh, but they start making their way back in, in the fall. So for me, the fall fishing is, is the most exciting. Got a ton of bait in here. All the fish are still around. Now we're getting a lot of, of trout in here. So the whole entire tr fall from now all the way until, you know, Christmas at least, right. Cause it, it stays fairly warm here up until Christmas for the most part will be a mixed bag of stripers, primary like we were striper fishing the other day and caught three or four largemouth bass so you, you'll get that in the mix as well even without you know necessarily straight up targeting that um if this year's this falls already any indication of how our trout's going to be this winter that looks like that is stacking up to be phenomenal again last year was the best year in in anyone's memory um and we didn't have to go very far i mean these fish are literally here in new Bern, so i'm hoping everything goes well there and i'll be really focusing on trout um through the second half of november all of december january and february um everything stays really hot and heavy until about march for the most part in in my opinion at least according to my records that's uh that's the time when i do equipment upgrades and um you know whatever i have to replace and maintenance on the boat is march is pretty flat for me a lot of those fish have either gone up, up out of the shad or they've moved out of the area so um, not that I'm saying I don't fish in March, but that is definitely by calendar. If I went back and compared a decade's worth of info, that would be the, the lowest amount of trips and the slowest amount of catching. Um, so that takes us back to the spring and then it all kicks off in April, May again. So of course the summertime, we're after old drum, right? In August and September. Um, so that's something else we do. I, I don't run very many mixed bag trap, uh, mixed bag, kind of trips during august september just because we're focused on old drum but this the fish is still there it just because i'm not after them doesn't mean they're not there and not uh, readily available james i very much appreciate 
the wealth of information you just shared with us on this podcast. And I especially appreciate you coming from world headquarters of Noose River Adventures. Just to add it, yet another air of importance. This has been a fantastic episode full of information. Well, good. Hey, thanks for having me. This is a really good idea. Your podcast series is great. And uh, hopefully somebody is still hanging on after this 45 minutes or however long we've been on here now. It's been a while. I guess we're pushing an hour, it looks like, right? Or getting close there. Um, but uh, yeah, hey, look, so this is the last thing. This is why I always tell people when I come to Fisherman's Post School or if I go talk at a local club, you can watch this video 20 times. You can look at all the YouTube videos and read all the manuals you want. But there is no substitute for time on the water. You have to get out there and put in the time, put in the hard work. Um, hiring a guide is always a good thing, right? You can learn years worth in one in one setting. And I do a lot of these learning teaching type trips, too, where people are like, hey, I'm new, either new to the area or, hey, I'm just now getting into fishing. And I'd like to kind of see, you know, what we do and how we do it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I consider it the whole thing of learning. Every time I go out there, it, it never disappoints, even on the the slowest day or the wettest day there's always something that you can glean some bit of information you know and you can say aha or uh, or for me you know i'm always putting together that trend analysis uh, piece of the puzzle so i'm going to go home and i'm going to kind of pour over my notes and see oh man last year at this time what was the situation or what did i find so i reckon that's another thing i'd recommend too is like hey keep a calendar i just keep an old school calendar i'll show i'll show you guys here uh, my grandfather, something I got from him, you know, you remember you used to get those gas station calendars, right? Yeah. Every year, like uh, in, the, in the 60s and 70s and stuff. Well, I inherited years worth of those calendars, but this is what I keep on my, on my desktop here at the World Headquarters. Just a regular day-by-day -day calendar. I'll keep track of the weather situation, but I write it in there on, on the day and say, okay, this is what we did, and this is kind of what we caught. At least that's my indication, and that helps me to keep track from time to time, like, oh yeah, oh, I guess it is time to go break out those topwater baits, or hey, now it's time maybe to go um, and, and break out some subsurface presentations. So, James, once again, man, a great time talking to you. I enjoy fishing with you. Enjoy every, you know, interaction we have, man. I appreciate it again. Hey, well, thank you very much. And let's get uh, let's get Billy down here and get him on a topwater striper before long, man. That poor guy, I can't believe he's still working uh -huh. for you without <laughs> him getting I, in on these trips. He's got a much better chance of a topwater striper than a free boat from Marine Warehouse. So I think he better <laughs> That's right. I think he better jump on that. <laughs> Billy. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. I do I love the sound of this. My biggest takeaway is I'm going is to get going, the topwater striper. Is James feels sorry for you. I know. I love this. That it, you're gonna get a pity trip. I love it. I'm I love pity trips. Whatever. <laughs> You know, uh, one thing he said, I, I say it at the fishing schools, too. I mean, these guys invest in, the, you know, my fishing school. And I say, you know, hey, man, if you're spending this money, spend some money. Go with one of these captains, yeah. man. You can learn a lot on the water. And, you know, uh, I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you my takeaway before I ask you yours. I don't know why I'm trying to take over your one trying to, What is this, Gary's takeaway now? But as I'm listening to him talk about trend analysis, and that's very compelling, I'm wondering if he tries to employ any of that trend analysis on his wife. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe so. I don't think it would be very you successful know? if you Honey, tried to. this time last year, <laughs> we what went was... out to dinner, and this was the result. <laughs> I'm going to try I that. I have it here in my calendar. <laughs> what are the odds that this is going to But But what's again? your best take? I need to back <laughs> off. What's your best takeaway? Oh, man. So many good ones, once again, because I'm not you know, a big striper fisherman. So, um, But I always hear that story of people pulling hooks, and so I guess the hook replacement on your – on your stuff is good. I mean, like top waters or whatever. It's like 
just do that first thing and don't worry about that bin of hook. Because, dude, his was all mangled. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and that's probably my biggest takeaway. My other biggest takeaway is everyone should subscribe to our podcast. Everyone. Everyone on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon. Just go subscribe on all those platforms. And every Tuesday when we launch, it'll just go. Bring. Love it. You can't forget it. <laughs> Anything else we're missing? Marine Warehouse. We always finish by thanking Marine Warehouse. Thank you, though. Sales, service, parts. Again, part of the community. Can't say enough. Like, you know, maybe Terrell calls me too much, but other than that, man, those guys (laughs) are have a great thing going. They've built that business up for a reason. They're doing the right thing. Yeah, man. It's good. Well, Gary, until next time, brother. Until next time, Billy. Fisherman.